What I want to talk to you about is the, these fundamental questions that we have with our life. Really, if you think about your life, no matter whether you're a believer in Christ or not, wherever you find yourself, life fundamentally, it boils down to, to really a couple of questions. And the first question that we ask ourselves, and many of you, you may not ask it explicitly in this way, but we, we wonder this about ourselves, and that is, who am I? What am I? Who am I? And especially young people, every teenager, every young adult is continually asking themselves that question. And even some children who are younger than that will ask their questions, who am I? What's the whole point of this? And, and we begin to find our who we are a lot of times in our talent. Like some of you have some really God-given gifts and talents, whether it's athletics or whether it's musical ability or, or just your, who you are as a person. You're talented with how you build relationships. And we will find our identity in that and say, that's who I am. I'm a, I'm a musician or I'm a basketball player or or I'm just a really good people person. And that's who we see ourselves as. And sometimes we'll find who we are in our circle of friends. Like, I'm one of the cool kids. I'm not. Never was. That's okay. Well, I heard laughter when I said that. At least I didn't get an amen for that one. Uh, now I got something on from the heckling crowd up here. So we'll find our identity in our, our circle of friends, our circle of influence. Or, or maybe some of you find your identity in your intelligence. Like, I'm one of the smart people. You know, I'm smarter than anyone else in the room. I'm not saying I am, because I'm definitely not. But maybe you find yourself as looking at, God has given me this, this intelligence. Sometimes it's been going on for all of history, but especially it's playing out even more in our society today. We find who we are in our sexuality or in our gender identity, and that's where we, we find our, our purpose. And we ask this same question as we age. It doesn't stop once you get out of high school or get out of college saying, who am I? Because life changes, and we change, and we ask this question, and sometimes we get rooted in things of life, and maybe you find who you are in your political persuasion. A lot of people get caught up on, on whether I am liberal or whether I'm conservative, and that defines so much of who they are. Or for many people, it's your cultural background. You know, I'm a southerner. I'm a redneck. I, I'm a Yankee. And that's where you find who I am, is this was where I came from. Or, or even taking that a step further, it can be our ethnicity. We find who we are based on our eth, eth, ethnic, how do you say that? Ethnic, ethnic background. I should have thought that through before I said it. But then we keep getting older. And as we get older and move into our, our careers, we begin to say, who are we? And it, we, we find that in our profession like I'm a pastor or I'm a doctor or whatever your career may be or maybe it's parenthood I'm a parent I, I've got kids and they that's who I am I am a parent and and it even continues you get into the senior adulthood and and you start to identify and, and say I am and it could be related to your health oh, or maybe I am retired so I get to travel. Who, who I am is this 
or who am I is this question that it's an ongoing question that you may not explicitly ask it of yourself, but it's a question that's rolling around in the back of our minds all through our life. Who am I really? And the second question is, why am I even here? What's the whole point of all of this? And, and that usually is rooted in your answer to the first question, who, I, who am I, why am I here, is usually rooted in, in that. Like, if, you, if you're rooted in your profession, I am a doctor because God put me here to serve people and to help people. Or I'm a teacher because God put me here to teach children or to teach young adults, whatever you may be teaching or I'm a parent because my whole purpose in life is to raise good children who can be good citizens. And we answer those questions, and when we answer them, they give us this momentary clarity. Because in that season of life, we can answer and say, this is who I am, this is why I'm here. But it changes. And it continually changes. As you begin to progress through life, Your personality can even begin to change. I know for me, when I was growing up, when I was about eight years old, I saw a behind-the-scenes making of Star Wars, which was incredible and mind-blowing for me because I'm like, they did that movie with these little tiny miniature spaceships, and it looks so awesome. And I decided at that point in my life, I am a future filmmaker. That's what I'm going to be. So that was where I was going with my life. And, and Scott and I, we got a video camera and made some things that we don't want to share with public because they are incredibly embarrassing. Scott dancing and doing a little CNC music factory stuff going on there. Yeah, we had some fun. Those things should never see a light of day. I think Scott's got a copy of them, so squash that, Scott. Uh, but then I, I heard something. What would you say? Bring it. No, no. No, we're not going to do that because, you know, anyways. Yeah, because we were so talented. Uh, but then, then I got my first set of drums, and I was like, well, I'm going to be a drummer. That, that's what I want to be with my life. And uh, I don't know how many old hairband people we've got in here, but I wanted to be Ricky Rocket. Does anybody know who Ricky Rocket is? Yeah, big hair. His band had guitars that looked like that color right there. So there we go. Is that a C.C. DeVille guitar? What's a bass? That'd be the other guy. I can't remember his name. Anyways, uh, but then um, in 1991, I got my first pair of Air Jordans. I'm wearing some today, just so you all can see. But I had Air Jordan 6s, which were, was my first pair, and I thought this was the best thing ever, and I'm going to be a basketballer. Uh, so, but, I mean, I used to go to the church next to, Don't laugh! <laughs> we had a church next to our house, and I would go up there to the parking lot. I mean, I was jamming. I mean, seriously, dunking on this hoop. I mean, it was six foot tall. But I was still doing it. Uh, and then I realized uh, white men really can't jump. There was a movie about that that they've remade recently. But I wasn't just white. I was shorter and rounder, and I can't jump. So basketballer, all of those things that I just said, uh, that's who I wanted to be, but it wasn't based in reality. But a lot of times you do become what you set out to be. Like maybe if it is a talent, you set out and you achieve that as a profession in the future. Or maybe who you are, you're finding yourself, you really want to be a parent, married with children, and you find yourself in that spot. Or maybe it was a profession where you just wanted to be at a certain level at your job and you achieved that. 
And that's who you are and why you're here at this moment. But then it happens. And you're like, that's all there is? Because it's never enough. It's always hollow, even with our, our perfect children that we raise, because they're never perfect, right? And they will disappoint us. And we're like, that's all I put my work into? And it's hollow. And we never achieve what we think we're going to achieve. It, it never really answers. Those, those areas of life never really answers the questions of who I am and why am I here with any sort of certainty. Momentary but not lifelong certainty. The true answer to it is you are made by God. You are a creation of the one God. You are a child of the King if you've chosen to follow Him. And Scripture says, not only were you created by God, but you were created in His image. You have the attributes of God imprinted on your life, on your soul. That is who you are. And you were made for God. You weren't made for whatever talent that He gave you. You weren't made to raise children, even though maybe He gives you that role. You weren't made for a certain profession. You were made by God, for God, for His purpose. That is why you are here. Who are you? You're a child of the King. Why are you here? All for Him. You know, we're, we're kind of like little mirrors. Scripture talks about how we're reflections of who we are, really, to the world. And when someone looks at you, are you a mirror image? Do you reflect back to them Jesus Christ? Or, or is your reflection back to the world just worldly things? Your words say that you're a Christian, but what people see does not line up with your words. We are to be image bearers of Jesus Christ. And as we go through life, we are to be sanctified in that. And all that big churchy word sanctified means is that for the course of your life, you are being made perfect into the image of of Jesus Christ. Not that you ever will achieve it, but you are continually being sanctified, being made, molded into that image. Satisfaction in life's biggest questions is only found in the words, yes, Lord. And whatever it is, yes, Lord. Isaiah 26, 8 says that in the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. In other words, yes, Lord, I am waiting on you. All about you. Your name is my desire, my ultimate want. Your pathways is my ultimate want. I want you, Lord. You are what I desire. But the reality of all of us in this room especially in modern culture, is that we are not in awe of anything anymore. You know, I saw this week when they did the moon landing back in, I don't know, Craig, you were watching it. What year was that? 1960-whatever. You were like in high school, right? <laughs> uh, it was like 650 million people tuned in to watch that. 
because it was something that created awe within people. The, the last um, NASA takeoff that they had, there was like a, a tiny fraction of that audience watched men go to space because we're not in awe of that anymore. We're not in awe of anything anymore. It is all so uh, routine for us, much less are we in awe of God. So, so rarely do we sit back and look at creation and just sit there and say, wow, he did that. So rarely do we look at our neighbors, our family, our children, and look into their eyes and say, God, that is the image of God. He did that. We are lost in awe. When we lose our awe of the Creator, we lose the urgency of our whole purpose for being here. It gets put on the back burner. The whole reason we are here, we believe as a church, is to love God, love people, and make disciples. And we put that on the back burner because we lose our awe of who He is. We lose our urgency. But when we regain our awe of God we can realize what life is really about. You know, for most of us, our faith has become far too casual. It's just something we do on Sunday mornings. It's not really... It's on the list, but it's not the list. It doesn't all revolve around our faith. It's part of of what we do. It's... Well, it is what we do, but it's not who we are anymore. So this morning, I want to spend the next 10 minutes or so. And and I want us to focus on the greatness of God and what He has accomplished in your life. Father in heaven, You are the way maker. You are the miracle worker. You are our only light in the darkness of this world. Lord, let us not forget that. Let us regain our awe of You. And as we dig into the Word today, Father, would You expose us in our deficiencies in following You? And would You give us the courage to surrender fully to You? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can grab a seat. So now that we've kind of re-centered on the glory of God and who He is, we can dive into this question, tackle this question of who we are and why we're here from a biblical perspective and not just the perspective that we would normally tackle it from. We've been going through the book of Romans for the last few months, and we're all the way up to Romans chapter 6, so... Yeah, just a, just a little bit more to go in that, like the rest of the year, but that's beside the point. Uh, today's text, I'm going to be honest, it's, it's an uncomfortable one to preach, so I'm sure it's going to be an uncomfortable one to receive. So just ask God right now, ask Him to keep your hearts open to His leading today, because this may cut some of you. It hurts some of the things we're going to talk about this morning. In Romans chapter 6, the second half of verse 15 is where we're picking up today, or Second half of chapter 6, beginning in verse 16, is where we're picking up today. What then? Are we to sin because we were not under law but under grace? 
By no means, Paul says. Now, you may be, if you were here last week, you may be thinking, well, that's the question we tackled last week, but it's not. They're two different questions. Paul asks the question in the beginning of the chapter, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that God gets some more glory, God gets some more grace, that it may abound more in Him? Paul says, absolutely not. Now he's saying, well, we're not under the law anymore. Should we continue in sin then? Because we're already forgiven. And Paul again says, by no means. Verse 16, do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." Now, as we start out on this, if you are a guest here today or a regular attender who is not a committed follower of Jesus Christ, none of this is going to make sense to you. This does not apply to you if you are not in Christ. And for those of us who are, it is going to offend us. That passage probably offends your sensibilities as an independent Western culture person because we are independent people. We don't, who likes to be told what to do? Not a single hand went up. We we like to to have our way in this. And Paul says, everyone, every single person who has ever lived, ever will live, everyone is a slave to something. That's not something that we would like to admit, that there is something in this world or someone in this world that is taking all of, all of our attention, all of our affection, all of our commitment. We are slaves to something. Something or someone controls you. And you may be sitting there saying, not me. I am not controlled by anything. I am my own person. Well, you're controlled by pride, if that is where you stand in this world. Something or someone controls you. And this is a continuation of last week, and not really just last week, but the last couple of weeks, as Paul is laying out this argument that there's really only two choices in your life. You can be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. You can be a a part of the family tree of Adam, of that lineage, which we all are, or you can break off and become a part of the family tree of Jesus and have life in that, and it's your choice. Only two choices and there's no fence riding. You can't straddle the fence and say, well, I'm going to to still kind of be in this part of the world, but I want to follow Jesus on, you know, Sundays and maybe sometimes on Tuesdays if I got a life group and occasionally like at a men's breakfast or something like that. I want to follow Jesus then. But the rest of the time, just leave me alone. You've made your choice. You are a slave to sin in that instance. You only have two choices. But what Paul doesn't say here is that that means as a Christian you will never sin. He never says that. He actually tackles that later in the book of Romans. If you are a Christian, you will still sin. You will still make mistakes. There are still sinful desires within you that you will cave into. Paul is saying that you aren't a slave to those anymore. That you can walk away from those things. That you can say no. That it does not control you any 
longer that Jesus Christ controls you now. Some of us, though, you try to keep your foot in the world and one foot in the family of God, and it, it never works. I was watching a reel on Instagram the other day, and there's this guy who is docking a boat. And he's, he's waiting on them to throw him the rope so he can tie it off to the dock. And he's got one foot on the boat and one foot on the dock. And guess what happens before he gets the rope? The boat begins to drift out. And he decides, well, he can hold it there. So he just tries to straddle the whole thing, but the boat keeps drifting out and his legs keep going wider until it's too late and he can't make a decision at that point. He's going straight in to the water. He's toast. But a lot of you, you, we laugh at that, especially if you see the video, it's hysterical. But that's how you live life. You've got a foot in the boat of life and a foot in, on the solid dock of, of God and as the boat drifts away from God, you're trying to keep your foot there and trying to keep a foot in, 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 your, your, in the family of God until it gets to a point where you are going to be covered up by the water. You, you can't continue in that way. Paul is saying you have a choice. You can either be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness, but you will be a slave to something. And that's uncomfortable to think about. I don't want to be a slave to anything. I mean, I want to surrender to God, but the idea of being a slave to anything is not pleasant. Then he continues in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms. He's using that, uh, that analogy of slavery. And by the way, slavery for them was a little bit different than what we recognize slavery now. It was indentured servitude. So it wasn't like, you know, racially driven. It was economically driven. Like you got a debt, you got to go into slavery to pay the debt. So you do whatever the master says who's going to pay off your debt for you. So, verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. He basically calls us dumb right there. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Lots of big churchy words in that. When he talks about you surrendered your members to lawlessness, that is, he's saying you've surrendered your body, your, your, your head, your, your legs, your arms, uh, every part of you. Surrendered your body to lawlessness. But when he says your members, it is not just physical. It is everything about you. It means you have surrendered your mind to lawless thinking, to this sinful way of thinking. You have surrendered even your resources, your finances to lawlessness, using it not for the purpose of the kingdom, but for the purposes of your own uh, well-being and your own desires or your own pleasures. He says, stop doing that. Use everything about yourself all of your members surrendered to righteousness, surrendered to God. He never says you won't mess up. He never says this means you'll never sin. He's saying, if you are someone 
who claims to be a Christian, claims to be a part of the family of God, and you have no issue surrendering yourself to, to lawlessness, to sin in your life, if your mind is driven by selfish desires, then you're probably not in Christ to begin with. But for those of us who are in Christ, we make mistakes. We fall all the time. But we don't surrender ourselves to those things. We don't get caught up in those things. And yes, while we are saved by grace, there is nothing that, that is required of us for salvation. Jesus accomplished all of it on the cross for us. There is skin in the game for us. We are required to be obedient. That's why the beginning of this whole whole book of Romans says way back in chapter 1, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about obedience of the faith. Faith isn't just sitting back and let God do everything for you. It is pouring into Him and trusting that His ways are better. 1 John 2.16, it boils life down to this. If you are going to live a life of lawlessness or sinfulness, it really comes in three forms according to 1 John. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. And all of us, our sin falls into those categories. But when he talks about the pride of life, he's talking about this self-focused life where it's all about you. It is all about, I'm going to get mine. And it's all self-driven. And the results of that is jealousy. We get jealous when someone gets something that should have been mine, like a promotion or a better grade. Or when our sibling gets scot-free and we get in trouble for it. We get jealous and, and bitterness comes along with it. Because we don't want to see other people succeed more than us or we don't feel like God is giving us what we deserve. So we get a little bitter about life. And this unrealistic expectations come along with it that we place on everybody else. So, so what's some symptoms of how the pride of life will play out in your life? Well, just look at a marriage. When we always find fault in our spouse, when we, we are stepping up happily saying, I can't believe you did that or I can't believe you didn't do that. But we never say the good things they did or the bad things that I didn't do or did do. That is the pride of life boiling up in us. Or when we're never satisfied with our, our place in life because I deserve better. I put in the work. Do you know how hard I worked in school to get a degree or to just graduate? I deserve more. Or we push our kids to, to these unrealistic expectations. You know, you're going to be the best baseball player that's ever played. You're my retirement ticket. I wish my kid was that. He has fun. He is not my retirement ticket. Then he, 1 John talks about the lust of the flesh. That is a life that is pleasure-focused. It's just all about enjoying life. I'm going to live life to the max. I'm going to have a good time. What does that result in? Sexual immorality? Adultery? Uh, addiction? Kind of the symptoms of that is 
If you use substances, alcohol, drugs, whatever it may be, for only the sake of pleasure and you can never get quite enough, then the pride of flesh is playing out in you. When you have an issue with pornography and you just can't stop watching and it's changing the way that you view relationships and and your relationship will never, if you are able to have a healthy relationship, it will never live up to the standards of what you see play out in pornography because life isn't really that way. When you rationalize choices in your life and say, well, I'm going to go ahead and do this because it makes financial sense or because it just makes uh, comfort sense, and you rationalize choices and say, well, it's not really sin. I don't really think that's what Scripture's saying. That is the lust of the flesh playing out in us. It's just all about pleasure in your life and, and comfort in your life. And then the lust of the eyes. And I'll be honest, this is the hard one for most of us. And we don't think of it necessarily. But this may be the one that cuts a lot of us. Because the lust of the eyes means that we are material focused. Worried about money, security, and having nice things. Nothing that's bad until it becomes the driving force in your life. And the result of that is debt. Not that all debt is bad. I mean, we all accrue house payments, things like that, but... The result of it is death. It's hard to get out of. The result is this mindset that there's never enough. It's a scarcity mindset where I've got to get more. The, the result of it is really effectively living in poverty, even though you make way more money than the poverty line, but you spend it all on other things. It's the one that hurts me the most. Symptoms of that, impulse buys. And I'm not talking about, you know, picking up that pack of gum in the the grocery aisle. I'm talking about, you know, that's a nice car. Boom, let's buy it. You know, these big impulse purchases where you never think it through. But where it really plays out, limited generosity, where you don't have the capacity to be able to help anybody. We're not tithing. No, no, the pastor's talking about money. That's all the pastor ever talks about. Now, we've been going through the book of Romans. I hadn't talked about money at all in months. But many of us are in that spot. You know, the tithe is a command. It's not a choice. It's obedient. Here's where it hurts a little bit. I don't get a report to tell me how much people tithe. I don't care how much you tithe. I care that you tithe because it's obedient. I want that for you. And you may think, no, you just want that to to pay for things at the church. Well, we got to keep the lights on. I'm not going to lie to you. But it's a blessing to you when you tithe. I can tell you from experience. I don't get a report that tells me who tithes, but I get a report every week that tells me how much overall uh, we did get in in the tithe. And here's, I went back and did the numbers from the 1st of January. 
based on how many people attend our church average and how much tithe comes in each week, your average salary is $2,400 a year. That's at a 10% tithe, which is where we base the, the standard of. So, so let's be generous and say it's a 5% tithe, $4,800 a year. We are being disobedient. And maybe you're sitting there saying, I can't tithe. I, my money's committed elsewhere. Well, yeah, I've been in that situation. We've already messed up and made, made ourselves slaves to debt so maybe you can't tithe 10%. But giving is a matter of the heart. Being obedient is a matter of the heart. Are you being obedient in what he's called you to do? Are you giving obediently? Generosity is above the tithe. Are you being obedient and just being generous and helping people? Being part of what the church is modeled in Acts we give of what we have to anyone who needs it. I'm going to be transparent with you right now. We are loyal to the tithe, but we're not loyal to the generosity in my house. That's a change that we need to make, that, that I am confessing in my own time to the Lord and asking Him to give me more capacity to be generous. Where are you at in life? Are you a slave to the lust of the flesh? To the lust of the eyes? To the pride of life? Paul says, don't give yourself up to any of those things because it will destroy you. But there's good news. Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin... And it becomes slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and it ends, its end is eternal life. He's telling us in that passage that when you submit fully to being a slave of Christ, it end, its end is a life abundant, a fruitful life. And that doesn't mean it is a life with material blessing. It is a life of the fruit of the Spirit, of joy, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, of generosity. That is the fruit that plays out as we are becoming slaves of God and its end is sanctification, being molded into the image of Christ, ultimately in eternal life, with our Savior. Verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is all free. And we serve the most generous God that we could ever imagine beyond our wildest imagination. And because we serve a generous God, we have a responsibility. Where do, you, where do you get that idea of responsibility? Just look at the cross. 
Jesus was paying a debt that wasn't his. He took responsibility for your debt. And he expects that in us. Generosity. To walk away from the the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. To surrender as a slave of the one true king. That is where you find purpose. It's all in Jesus. And the whole goal of your life is a life abundant. It isn't whether you get a new house or a new car or get to take that awesome vacation. Is it abundant in Christ? And here's what God is looking for from you in this moment. He's looking for a yes, Lord, from you. Not just a yes, I'll do it. It's a yes, Lord, because that term Lord is my master. Yes, master, I will surrender to you. I am a slave of yours. No matter where you go, no matter where you send me, I'm all in, Lord. If you want all my money, if you want my house, if you want to send me away, whatever it is, Lord, I am all in. But are we really? What are you willing to endure to accomplish the goal of a fruitful life in Christ? What are you willing to give up for Him? Are you willing to swallow your pride? Say, I'm sorry. Maybe say, I wasn't right. Sometimes you're right. Or maybe say, well, I'm always right, but it's okay that you, you know, we're not going to argue about it. Are you willing to swallow your pride? Are you willing to look at your spouse and say, I love you no matter what? Because I love Jesus no matter what, and he loves you no matter what, so I'm going to love you no matter what. Are you willing to look at the person who got the promotion over you and say, congratulations? Not, it was mine. Are you willing to walk away from the pride of the flesh or the lust of the flesh to abstain from sexual immorality? Are you willing to to move out of that, that house that you're living in with someone who's not your spouse? Or are you willing to get the help that you need for the substances you're struggling with? Are you willing to cut off access to pornography, even if it means, well, I don't get the internet in my house anymore because I cannot stop watching that stuff? Are you fine keeping one foot on the boat and one foot on the land and just waiting on, on yourself to fall in? Are, are you willing to commit your resources to the kingdom. It begins first with a tithe. Man, that's uncomfortable. I hate talking about it. But you know, Jesus talked more about money than he did about almost any other topic. 
the money is the root of a lot of evil. Are you submitted to the command to tithe? Are you being generous? And maybe you are sitting there this morning and you're like, shut up talking about money. I don't want to give to the church. Fine. You know, you can give. First off, if you, if you can't tithe right now, make a donation to the Heart for the House campaign. Help us build the building that we want to use to minister to this community. But even above that, if you're like, I don't want anything to do with the church. I, I don't trust churches. Well, if, if that's you, maybe this isn't the place for you. But if you're still here and you still want to be a part of things, but you're not ready to commit your finances, give to Isaiah 117 house. You know, they need help to, to fund the work they do with foster children. Give to Street Hope, Tennessee. One of our ministry partners, it's getting girls off the streets who are, are being sold into sexual slavery and human trafficking. We can set all that up for you. Give to the church plant that we're sponsoring over in North Carolina. Give to the Women's Care Center, Women's Pregnancy Resource Center, who are ministering every day to not just girls who are in trouble with unwanted pregnancies, but their, their significant others who are having to walk through that too, and none of them know how to handle a baby. And maybe they don't even want the baby, but we can help them get the help that they need and the counseling that they need. You have so many resources just in this church to follow out that that command of generosity, are you following through with that? So number one, he wants a yes from you. Yes, Lord, you are my master. And then guard your steps. Be prepared. Be prepared to face temptation. For that whisper you've got in your mind right now, well, I'm not giving that up, and I'm definitely not writing a check. Be prepared to fight back against the enemy and be prepared to fail because you will. Present your members as slaves to God, slaves to righteousness, pursuing the things of the Lord with everything that you've got. How is he leading you today? He is leading every single person in this room to a yes somewhere in your life. Is he leading you to surrender your life to him because you never have? To accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Is he leading you to that? Is he leading you to cut some addiction out of your life? Substances or pornography out of your life? Is he leading you to walk away from a relationship that's toxic and is leading you into situations of sin? Is He leading you to let go of the purse strings and begin to tithe or begin to be generous? How is He leading you today? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. As you are alone with God right now, would you pray that He will give you the courage to trust His leading? Because he says, the fruit 
that you get to experience will lead to everlasting life and life abundant in this life on earth. Do you believe him? Some of you need to lay it on the altar right now. If that's you, don't wait until we begin to sing. You can move right now. You don't have to wait. So go ahead. If the Lord is telling you, surrender to me this area of your life, begin to move and lay it on the altar. You don't have to stand up here and confess it to anybody. Just come up. There's something about getting on your knees and surrendering to God and saying, it is yours. Help me, Lord, to surrender this area of my life to you. I don't want to be a slave to this anymore. I want you. And I want life abundant in you. Do you believe Him? Or is is this just some game for you where you're hoping you do enough to get into heaven? You never will. You have two choices. You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. Will you call Him Master? Well, how do I know what my weak spot is? Well, one of the easiest ways to do it, look at your calendar, look at your checking account, and think about your secret thoughts that no one else knows about. That'll typically reveal what you're a slave to. What is holding your attention away from from the Lord? Because that reveals what your master really is. Are you a slave to Jesus Christ? Or are you a slave to the things of this world? You only have 